Spirit. We are going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning, but I'll just refer you to Acts chapter 2. You can do that on, on your own because I'm headed somewhere else this morning. So Acts chapter 2 is for your reference as you go home and study through the week. This morning, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit on a more individual level from a text that's earlier in the ministry of Jesus where he promises the Holy Spirit to his disciples. So this promise is in the context of a Jewish festival, but it's not the festival that we would call Pentecost. It's a different festival. It's one in the fall. So just for your broader understanding, um, lots of holy days in the Jewish faith, but three particular, they called the pilgrimage uh, festivals where the uh, adult males were required to journey to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts together corporately in the temple. The first one would be Pesach or Passover. That would be around our Easter time. Uh, the second Shavuot around this time of Pentecost, the one we're not talking about today, if you're getting my, where we're headed. And then Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles, which happens in the fall. And we'll talk more about the Feast of Sukkot or Tabernacles in just a minute. We're going to look at just three verses from John chapter 7. So if you have a Bible or a device or an excellent memory, open that up. John chapter 7, and if you want to stand, if you're able to do so comfortably, I want to read for you. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning from John chapter 7, 37 to 39. On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask for your illumination, even of what Jesus said on that day about you and about us in the context of coming to him to receive life, fullness, restoration. We ask, Holy Spirit, come and guide us. And I pray in the name of Jesus that not a single one of us would walk out here this morning the exact same person that we walked in, but we would be more full of life, more full of Jesus, more full of faith, more full of power, and more full of love. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So in this passage, John chapter 7, this fall festival of the Jews, Jesus is making a claim at the end of this Feast of Tabernacles. The, the festival was essentially a celebration of the harvest. It was also a memorial to the wandering of the people in the desert, you know, the, the Jews coming uh, in the Exodus, coming out of Egypt, and then wandering in the desert for, four, for 40 years, where obviously in the desert, water and food are kind of scarce. So the Feast of Tabernacles, this festival, lasted eight days. And here's what happened in the context during this festival. On the first seven days of the feast, to remember God's provision of water in the wilderness and then the hope for sort of eternal rain, for water to be poured out, the water of the Holy Spirit on the people in the eventual rule and reign of Jesus, those first seven days, a priest 
would go to the pool of Siloam, and he, would, he had a golden pitcher. And he would take that golden pitcher and he would dip it into the pool of Siloam. Then he would come back to the temple and he would pour that, that golden pitcher of water out in the temple along with wine. And this was a symbol of God's provision in the desert, as well as a looking forward to God's eventual provision of sending the Holy Spirit upon his people. While the priest is pouring out the water, he's reciting Isaiah 12.3. Loudly, my guess is, like Jesus spoke, which is this, with joy, Isaiah 12, uh, verse 3. With joy, you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. So this is the context of Jesus standing up. That all the people are there. The priest gets the pitcher, golden pitcher, water, pours it out with wine. They're reciting from... Uh, with joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. All of this looking forward to the time when the promises of God's Holy Spirit, uh, all those promises in the Old Testament that we've been praying for this last couple of weeks would be fulfilled. And literally, water flowing from the throne from Jerusalem where Messiah would be enthroned. So Jesus, the Messiah, though they don't all know it at that point, is standing there saying, you're looking at salvation. You're looking at the promise of tabernacles fulfilled. You're looking not at just the one who gave it to you in the desert, water and food, but the one who can give it to you eternally. It's, it's like Jesus is saying, as you enthrone me here in Jerusalem, I will be enthroned once and forever. You can look in Joel chapter 2 and Ezekiel 47 and Revelation 2. Lots of promises about the coming of the Holy Spirit and a number of those referencing water or rivers, living water that brings healing with it. So those are the first seven days of the festival. The eighth day was different. On the eighth day, that is the last day of the festival, the one that Jesus stands up to speak in, in our text this morning, on the eighth day, they didn't pour out any water. So they did that for seven days. On the eighth day, they didn't. Then, on that day, commemorating the entrance of the Jews into the promised land, it's, you know, for seven days, or for 40 days, for a long time we wandered in the desert. <laughs> so they, they do the first seven days, you know, commemorating all the way that God has given them water and looking forward to the future. On the eighth day, they remember that there was a time that God brought them into the promised land, which the Bible talks about as a place flowing with springs of water. And so they didn't pour out the water. They just prayed for that future provision of water from God's presence. So on this day... This eighth day of the feast, Jesus stands up and he proclaims in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You think that didn't uh, just ruffle a few feathers? I mean, we just kind of read it and say, oh, he shouted in a loud voice and had a message. Great sermon, I guess. But the context is that people are going, what is going on here? What is this man claiming? What are, we, what are we witnessing right now? So with this invitation, Jesus announces himself as the fulfillment of all that the Feast of Tabernacles was promising. Salvation joy, Holy Spirit fulfillment, fresh power, 
and eternal provision. Jesus was saying, everything that you're looking for is right here. He's the only one who can say that. There's no one else who can say that. So Jesus is promising supernatural satisfaction and fruitfulness to all who are thirsty and to come to him believing. He's saying it in front of the people. Okay, all that background was to prepare us to hear from Jesus in these three verses, these three realities that he invites every believer into. A need, an invitation, and a promise. Let's begin with the need. By the way, I did a, in our staff meeting every week, we do a prayer rhythm, about 30 minutes. We begin our staff meeting by just looking to God in worship, opening the scriptures, praying for one another, and, and sort of meditating on scripture. And, and um, I, I did one of those on this verse, and I'll just attach it to my notes. So if you want to do it in your home group or your small group or you want to do it personally, you'll have sort of a, a, a way to follow through how you can connect with Jesus through this scripture. So let's start with the need. Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty. Physical thirst is a basic need, right? You don't like to be thirsty. You want to be satisfied. On the other hand, thirst is a sign of life, right? Dead people aren't thirsty. Next time you feel yourself physically thirsty or spiritually thirsty, you get to say to Jesus, thank you that I'm alive. Because dead people aren't looking for water. So thirst is therefore a gift and a sign of life. What's interesting is that thirst isn't a thing, really, right? Thirst is more of a lack of something. Thirst is really an emptiness. So when Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, he, he's He's as much saying if anyone's empty, if anyone has need, if, any, if anyone's longing for something that needs to come from outside of them. Spiritual thirst is the same way. And as spiritual beings, we're longing for, we need that water of the Holy Spirit. We need it spiritually. I, I loved it. I didn't know Andorra, well, I knew Andorra was going to sing that song. I didn't know she was going to camp on Deep calls out to deep, you know, over and over. I didn't know she was going to do that, but I loved it. Because here's Psalm 42, 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. The psalmist is expressing his deepest longing need for God and God alone. And so when that term, it sounds a little funny, deep calls out to deep. I read commentaries on it, pages and pages, and here's what I got from it. The deepest place of us calls out to the deepest place to him. The deepest place, our deepest need, the ones that we know and many people don't know about us, is calling out, like the psalmist was calling out, for the deepest place in God. And the reality is, every single day of our lives, every one of us is thirsting for God. We're looking for him. We long for him, maybe whether we know it or not. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Do you know that cry? I mean, can you feel that? When you, when you hear that, do you recognize, oh, that's my cry many days of my life? We're thirsty people, and we're needy, and we, we desperately need God. So what are we longing for? I had a counselor once. I've had many counselors. <laughs> I had one particular one. I remember him saying, 
when we first met, he said, the, the three basic longing needs of the human heart, what we really long for at our depth, we want to be fully known, no secrets. We want to be unconditionally loved. No matter what you know about me, you still love me. And we want those two things to go on forever and ever. It's, it's a pretty good understanding of what we really long for. We want to be known, fully known. And we want to be loved, unconditionally loved. And we don't want that to ever end. That's what we long for. Mike Bickle, because he has more words to say than my counselor, has seven longings of the human heart. He says we want to be loved and enjoyed by God. We want to be fascinated in life. In other words, we long to worship something. I'm not, I'm not condemning anyone who goes to the race today, but there's probably a worship atmosphere there. I mean, just the revelry and the excitement, the longing to be fascinated by something. We long for beauty. It's why art can move us and music can move us to tears because we long for beauty and it touches us. We long for significance. We're thirsty to make an impact. We, we long for intimacy without shame. We could spend about two months on that one. As humans, we long for intimacy. We want to be close without shame. We long to give ourselves completely to something that's worthy of our lives. We really long for devotion. We want to give ourselves to something. And we, we long for it every day. This will come as a surprise to you, but we are not camels. You know, a camel can drink once and then just carry for a long time. We need to drink every day. We're, we're thirsty every single day. There, my wife's a dietitian, and there are fights about how much water is actually required, you know, for a human. Some people say it's 64 ounces. Some people, it's a multiple of how much you weigh and whether you're left-handed and which way your nose turns. And I mean, all sorts of... But here's the reality that everyone will agree with. By the time you're thirsty, you're probably dehydrated. So by the time you realize, oh, I'm thirsty, your body has been longing for water already for some time. And I think it's the same way with spiritual thirst. Before we get to the point where we recognize, man, I need God. We need God. So if you're thirst, uh, thirsty spiritually in any way, then this invitation is for you. Jesus promises supernatural satisfaction and fruitfulness to everyone who's the invitee and will come to him believing. So that's the need. What's the invitation? Jesus just says real clearly, come to me and drink. Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink, whoever believes in me. So a question to ask as we read the text is, where do I go to quench my spiritual thirst? I don't think that I need to spend a long time pointing out all the false ways that we look to quench our spiritual thirst. All of the ways out there that many of us have tried, most of which are uh, disappointing at the very least and deadly or painful at the worst. Jeremiah chapter 2. God is speaking to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. And in verse 13, here's what God says. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. So God's speaking to his people through his prophet Jeremiah. He says, my people have committed two sins. 
forsaken me, that's the one, they walked away from me. And two, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. I mean, the image in this agricultural place is, here's a spring of living water that will always be good for you, free and pure and eternal and good for you, and you've dug a hole. You've, you've put a clay pot in a hole, and you've poured water into it, and it's broken, so things seep out and bad things seep in, and you've, you've partaken of that and said, this is good. I wonder if we have broken cisterns in our lives. No, I don't. We all have broken cisterns in our lives. Places that we go to uh, satisfy this spiritual thirst that will not satisfy and actually will bring pain and maybe even death. I've been a pastor for 21 years and a missionary before that, and I'm an old guy anyway, so I've been around. I have had lots of occasions to speak to men particularly, though I know it's not just a male issue, about lust, pornography, sexual temptation. I mean, it's probably not a week that goes by that I don't talk to someone dealing with that or, or the aftermath of dealing with that. And uh, I go to the same place every time in the Scripture when a man comes to talk to me about that. I go to John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. And I say, you know, Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, from within his innermost being will come rivers of living water. The reality is that sexual temptation, lust, etc., is really not about sex. Really, it's not about sex. It's about a deeper need, a deeper desire, it may be for you acceptance you're looking for or affirmation you're looking for or control you're looking for or to be controlled that you're looking for or any other number of things. I mean, this isn't just about sexual temptation, but it's so evident right here that we're not longing for the physical act. We're longing for the by the physical act. And the acceptance that comes or seems to be symbolized by the physical act. Jesus is the one who meets these needs ultimately and the only one. So I don't condemn men with that. I invite men with that. Jesus says, you can, if, if you're thirsty, I'm right here and will pour out for you living water. What that says to me is if I'm tempted sexually, whatever it is I'm looking for underneath there, Jesus can give that to me. Jesus can meet that need for affirmation. Jesus can meet that need for acceptance. Jesus can bring security and, and power into my life that that act, that thought, or whatever it is, will never be able to do. So to come to Jesus is to believe that he is and that he is the one with life-giving water. Not just about sex. In any place where we go to a broken cistern and look for life. We're called to believe, to trust in him, to cling to him, but not just to believe, to drink. You can look at a glass of water and say, that will make me feel better. But it's not going to do anything for you until you, here it is. Uh, see this? Ah, eternal refreshment. 
You don't have to be smart to drink. In fact, many people who drink too much, they're not that smart. You don't have to be skilled to drink. You don't have to go anywhere specifically to drink of Jesus. But you must drink to have your thirst quenched. I'm uh, reading a book. It's taken me a long time, but I'm reading a, a book called Beholding. It's by Strawn Coleman. He's an Australian, I think, or New Zealand. New Zealand, Kiwi. This is what he says. Jesus promised the way to his love is not complicated or for the, inti- uh, or for the initiated. And then he quotes, and if you believe, quote, John 7, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And if he believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He then continues, we're called primarily to come and drink from God, not to come and think. Not in an anti-intellectual way, but with a posture that makes thirst personal, not theoretical. One, the drinking, hydrates, illuminates, and energizes our love through the act of receiving. The other, the thinking, and I'm not against thinking, I do plenty of it, but the other works and strives with the mind in in an attempt to attain it. Jesus calls us first to, to drink and then to think because we can't think our way to spiritual hydration. And I know that as a person who is basically a book addict, my wife has to limit the number of books I can buy. I'm not kidding. We go through periods where she says, I don't want to see any Amazon boxes. And then I have to come into the office and say, if you see me with any Amazon boxes, you, you're allowed to ask. But we cannot think our way to spiritual hydration. It, it doesn't happen here. It happens here. Um, just last week over there where I was sitting, I'd given the message, and my friend Shodman, I don't see Shodman here today. Shodman came up to me, and as he sometimes does, he gave me a word of encouragement after the message. And um, he just came over and he said, um, Randy, Jesus is shining through you. And I said, that's wonderful. Thank you. And he kissed me on the cheek like he always does and <laughs> because I won't let him kiss me on the lips. You know, <laughs> He's an Iranian. He does that kind of stuff. He, he went back, and I, I prayed for somebody else. I went into my office, put some things away. I came back out. Shodman came back. He said, it was wrong. He said, I, it, it is true God wants to shine through you, but he says, I really think what God wants me to tell you is God wants to shine through you to you. He said, God wants to give you what you give others. He wants to give you his fullness. And then he started to cry, at which point I started to cry. And he said, Randy, when you were standing up there, he said, I saw a waterfall. And I saw you standing next to the waterfall. And he said, you were looking at the waterfall and questioning its power. And Jesus says, don't question its power, just drink. That, that was the word of the Lord to me. If that's the word of the Lord to me, that is also the word of the Lord to you. If in any way you are questioning your power, the power of the waterfall to satisfy your thirst, if in any way you're tempted to give to others but not to receive, I think that Jesus wants to say to us, let's drink first. We've got to be filled first. We, We cannot give away what we don't have. Otherwise, we're just being used by God. And that is not the way God treats his beloved. He doesn't use us. 
He loves us. He blesses us. Out of the overflow of blessing, other people get blessed. It's what ministry is called. It's ministry that comes from intimacy, not just usefulness. And so Jesus' invitation, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Will you come to Jesus believing with your spiritual thirst every day as if your life depended on it? Because in reality, it does. Okay, let's look at the promise. Jesus said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This uh, feast that they were celebrating on the last day Jesus was speaking, the feast looked forward to the promises of life-giving and healing waters flowing from the temple or flowing from the very presence of God. So in, uh, in the promise, water comes from the temple or the presence. And Jesus is saying that if anyone wants that life-giving water from the presence of God, here I am. I, I want you to come to me. I want to give it to you. And this water, he says, will be in them as a river whose source is none other than the presence of God. If a river of life comes from the presence of God, that means it's pure, that means it's abundant, and that means it's satisfying. And I really don't know what else we want than pure abundance that satisfies. We're invited and intended to walk around the earth through our challenging lives with pure, abundant, and eternally satisfying river of God in us and through us. We can't miss it. The river of living water is not just something that comes into us, but Jesus says it's supposed to go out of us. From their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We don't become a stagnant pond of water just receiving. We become a spring. We become a place where the rivers come from and the flowing water of Jesus goes out. We're indwelt by a powerful, pure, eternal, always available, and abundant spiritual presence so that this presence could flow through us to the world. So Ezekiel 47, one of those promises. Ezekiel says, Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of this river that comes from the temple of God. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. It might be a stretch, but I, th I think Jesus had in mind that river of God when he was talking about the river that would come through him. And we are literally filled with the Spirit of God for the healing of the nations. It's not meant to stay, it's, it's meant to go through us. I think I mentioned John 14, 20 last week. Jesus, again, talking about when the Holy Spirit would come. He says, on that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus in the Father, that shows their unity. Us in Jesus, that establishes our security. Jesus in us reveals Jesus' ministry through us. So when we realize that Jesus is in the Father, they're one, it's the eternal God. And we're in him, so we're doubly secure. No one can, 
and I will be in you. Not just for you, but for the salvation of the world. In other words, don't drink alone. Don't drink alone. Don't, don't just consume the spiritual life of Jesus and hold it in. Bring your friends. Bring your family. Bring your coworkers. Bring the people that you see at the gym or in the store. Bring your enemies. Every single person needs this life-giving water. Share what you have. Let it spill out. Who in your life right now, when, who's the first person that pops into your mind when you, when you think of someone who needs the life of Jesus? God's probably calling you to interact with that person, to pray for them. Pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit for them. Pray that they'll come to know Jesus. And if all else fails, tell them about Jesus. Serve them and love them so that the fruit of the Spirit that's in you can come out and spill on them. Jesus promises supernatural satisfaction and fruitfulness to anyone who's thirsty and comes to him believing. I'll close here. Verse 39, because this is the whole point of Pentecost. Jesus said, uh, John uh, is now commenting on the message of Jesus. He says, by this, these rivers of living water, by this he meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. It's, it's the point that Jesus is making. This life, this love, this purity, this provision, this significance, the satisfaction, purpose, power, access, abundance. I could do this all day. <clears throat> all of this is made real to us by the Holy Spirit. What we celebrate on Pentecost is not just the, the birth of the church, not just the power, not just the preaching, not just the tongues of fire and all the nations gathered that hear the good, good news of God and the kingdom in their own language. That's amazing. The Holy Spirit does miracles. He heals people. He gives revelation and dreams and vision. The Holy Spirit does all that. We pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, the move and the work of the Holy Spirit, wisdom and revelation from the Holy Spirit. But the filling of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about in this passage is not just the big party, not just the big, you know, loud speaking in tongues, falling on the floor, revival. That's all good. But this can be as normal and as daily as drinking water. Our interaction with the Holy Spirit, this Jesus saying, come to me and believe and drink and it'll flow from you like a river of living water. That's for every day. We, we don't drink one time a year. We don't drink just in big conferences, right? We drink every single day. So this filling of the Holy Spirit can happen every time you look to Jesus in a day, in a time of temptation. It can happen every evening as you pray before bed. Jesus, would you just show me today, where did I make and drink from a broken cistern? Holy Spirit, open up your life and your health, and your healing, and your cleansing to me again. It can happen every small group that meets. Holy Spirit, come and fill us and move among us. Every moment of prayer during a work day. Holy Spirit, let your, your fruit flow through me today. It can happen in every challenging experience you have in every joyful season of life. Because Jesus promises supernatural satisfaction and fruitfulness to all who are thirsty and come to him believing. Rivers of living water, that's the promise. The Holy Spirit in us and through us. 
So I urge you today, tonight, this week, next week, next month, next year, until you die, come and drink. Let's pray. Why don't you stand? Jesus, we, we come to you in any way that's appropriate for us in our own hearts. Jesus, we look to you. We choose to believe the good news that if anyone is thirsty, we could come to you and we could drink. And as the scripture said, if we believe from our innermost beings would flow rivers of living water. God, here we are, a thirsty people. So we ask that you come. Come by your Holy Spirit. Draw us to you. See our thirst, Jesus. Release your Holy Spirit among us, we pray. Instead, today of asking the ministry team to come forward, I'm just going to ask you if you have a specific thirst if something during worship or in the message or just being quiet has, has touched you and you realize you need to, to come to Jesus today in some way, you're welcome to come to the front and just kneel. Um, you're welcome to stay in your seat. If you need to go, you're welcome to go. But I don't want you to leave without responding to the invitation of Jesus to come to him to take care of your spiritual thirst. If you want to come forward and kneel, you're welcome to or in your seat. I'll pray for us. We'll close. Presence among us for this recognition of our need, this invitation to come, and this promise of fulfillment. Do your work in us, we pray. Someone earlier had a, had a word. What they saw was someone or some people that were... Um, feeling like they were uh, pushed out to sea and they were drowning and the word of the Lord to you if that's feeling if that's what you're feeling is you, you can walk on water if you reach out to Jesus hold his hand you can walk on water that there literally is no situation that Jesus cannot will not redeem so come to Jesus and drink amen have a great day